Amen. Especially on that part about getting me out of the way and letting the Lord speak. That would be a wonderful thing to have happen this morning. It happens here most mornings. Every once in a while I preach and it's out of my heart and you'll know when I do that because it's usually yeah, not so good. I had a saying when I was in student ministry years ago, I would finish a message and the high school students, God love them, man, they love their pastor and they'd run up to me and 20 or 30 of them would surround. That was great, Pastor Todd. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you so much. I loved your message. And I learned really quickly that when it was good, it was God. And when it was bad, it was Todd. And usually it was easy to tell the difference. And so that's still true today. And if you're one of those loving people, I love to hear those words of affirmation. But just know if you run up to me and tell me that stuff, I'm going to check you because I don't need anybody blowing smoke up my skirt. I'm pretty much self-impressed already. I think I'm pretty cool. So all I need is, you know, if you're going to bring that to me, I just want you to know I'm going to ask you a really good question, and I'm going to expect a really good answer. And the question is this, if it was so great, what did you learn? I stopped a lot of high school students from running up to me after that, because about the third time they got asked that and had no answer, they just learned to go to the back of the room and love me from there. So you know, then there was the group that wanted to, you know, talk about it. So anyway, that was free, wasn't part of the message. Hey, you know what? For the past three weeks, we have been involved in a really cool teaching series. At least I think it is. I have really enjoyed this teaching series, and I'm glad we're continuing it this week and next week. The series is called Storytime, and what this series has been about, uh, we have opened up God's story, the Bible, and we have looked at uh, some specific stories that Jesus told during his ministry. Jesus told lots of stories. There, he, he, was a, he was a master storyteller. And that only makes sense. If Jesus is God and God is the author of the greatest story ever told, then Jesus must be a, a pretty awesome storyteller. And so Jesus tells these stories all throughout the New Testament, but some of the really specific stories that we've been looking at are stories called parables. And we've talked each week about what a parable is. If you're new this week, I want you to know as well. A parable is a story with dual meaning, parallel meanings. It's like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So it has the, the earthly aspect. You learn all of that earthly stuff, and, and, and it's good. But there's also a heavenly meaning to that story as well. And so we've been talking about some parables that Jesus told, specifically in Matthew chapter 13. We've done three weeks of parables, all from that chapter and that book. The problem today, or the, the, the deal today, is we're going to have a little departure. It's not really a problem. It's just different. We're going to do a departure. We're going to move from Matthew 13. We're not going to talk about a parable either. We are going to continue with the story uh, uh, time theme. We're going, to, we're going to just do it with a little different story. If you would, um, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and open it up. If you don't, don't worry. We're going to put the scriptures up on the big screen. They're already there, so you can follow along with us. But we're going to look at this story in Luke chapter 10. And the reason I'm doing this story today, the reason we took a departure today, it is Labor Day weekend, as Jim alluded to a few minutes ago. It's Labor Day weekend, like tomorrow is Labor Day. Who knows what Labor Day is about? Yeah, me neither. It's about cooking out and being off of work, right? And it's like the last day to go to the lake. Right? If you're a water skier, wakeboarder, jet skier, or whatever, you go to the lake on Labor Day. It's like closing weekend at the lake, right? And that's where like a third of the seats are today. They're closing down Lake Louisville today because you didn't know that, but it officially, no, it doesn't really. But that's the deal. That's what we do. I mean, I know what Labor Day is about, and so do you. We're celebrating the workers in this country. It's a great day. We take a day off. We celebrate those who labor for a living. It's a great thing. It's a, it's a cool day to take off, and, and I think a lot of us think that we work and 
probably on Labor Day you realize, you know, your job's not really that bad because you probably didn't need the day off like you thought you did. Anyway, that's just me, maybe. I don't know. But I don't know. Anyway, we're going to talk about this story today because it talks about laborers. And so I thought on Labor Day, what more appropriate story could we get into than this? So let's read together Luke chapter 10. I've rambled long enough for all of you with your Bibles to find it. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Here we go. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. And do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered. And then in verse 9 he says, heal the sick who are there, and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Let's stop there. Twelve verses into this story. Let's start talking about what's going on here. I mean, this is not a parable. It's not a a story with parallel meanings, dual meanings, it's all right there on the surface, or maybe not on the surface, but right there in front of you. It's, it's right there, the whole story. No, no parallels. But what is going on here? There's, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus is telling to these 72 disciples that he's sending out. Let's start there with the 72. Some of you thought there were only 12 disciples. I know I used to think that. I thought there were only 12 guys that followed Jesus around everywhere he went. There were thousands of disciples. We talk about the 12 the most because those are the guys, that was like Jesus' inner circle. That's who, you know, we, we see all the time in the scriptures. But there were thousands. Disciple just means like student. That was somebody who followed Jesus. There were hundreds and eventually thousands of people who followed Jesus from place to place. There were lots of them. And these 72 are not the 12. These are 72 men who had been hanging around Jesus long enough uh, and been intense enough in their relationship with him that they had learned what he was teaching. They were like entrusted in this passage to go out ahead of him and kind of like prepare the way into these towns and cities where Jesus was about to go. They were kind of, you know, the, the messengers that, that got everybody ready for Jesus to show up. And so Jesus is preparing these guys. They're probably going out for the first time. That's my guess. I mean, the scriptures aren't perfectly clear about that, but that's my guess as I read here that he's giving them some instructions that indicate to me they've probably not done this before. And so we're going to talk a little bit about these instructions, about these workers, because you know, here we are on Labor Day, and, and Jesus says that the harvest out there is, is plentiful, but the workers are few. He's sending a few workers. Seventy-two was just a few out of the, the flocks that followed him. Seventy-two was a handful, but the, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, and he's telling these guys that they're among the few workers, and 
You know, when I read that passage and Jesus says that, it's just, it jumps out to me. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I started thinking about, at that time, the church, you know, the Jewish people were not a small group of people. I mean, they were like a nation. There was a lot of them. And they weren't weak and, and impotent. They were kind of a, you know, I mean, maybe not the most powerful. The Romans had, had conquered them and they were living under Roman law, but they were still a people to be respected and, and they did business and dealt with their neighbors and the countries around them. And, and, and they were not few. There were a lot of them. Tens, hundreds of thousands of Jews. And so there should have been a lot of workers to go out into the harvest fields. I mean, even if you got down to the priests and the teachers of the law, the rabbis, they were a lot fewer than the whole nation of Israel, but there were probably hundreds, if not thousands of them. The workers should not have been few. But Jesus says the workers, the laborers, are few. I'm going to think about that for a minute. I think it's kind of like that today. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, has it? I mean, we live in Dallas-Fort Worth. It's like, I've heard it called the buckle on the Bible belt, right? I mean, the Bible belt kind of runs all throughout the South, and there's all of these churches and these Christians, and we, you know, vote like, uh, uh, you know, vote our faith, and we live our faith, and we promote our faith, and we build churches, and we build these ginormous churches. And it's like, if the football stadium gets too big, we got to build a bigger church. And, and uh, you know, it's just crazy. We, that's, that's the way it is in the South, right? We have, met, like, within 20-minute drive, of where we sit right now, here, this morning, within a 20-minute drive, there are no fewer than a half dozen of what they now call mega churches, 2,000 people or more. That's phenomenal. I'm excited that there are mega churches, that, that there are churches that, that that many people go to. There are hundreds, and I would dare say maybe thousands, of other churches that are smaller than that within a 20-minute drive of where we are right now. So like a 40-minute you know, diameter, right? If you drove 20 minutes in either any direction. There's lots and lots of churches, and there's lots and lots of people this morning just like you sitting in the seats in those churches. And yet Jesus says the workers are few. And so the only thing that I'm left with from that, if we lack workers, but the pool we should be drawing from is big, there's a lot of people in the pool who don't want to work. Ouch. There's a lot of people in the pool who don't want to work. What I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, what I'm discerning from this is this. It's not the same thing to go to church as it is to be the church. It's not the same thing to sing praise and worship songs on Sunday morning as it is to live a life of worship. It's not the same thing to proclaim Christ as it is to live Christ. Or better said, to let Christ live in you and live through you. That's why the workers are few, I think. But the harvest is plentiful. There's no lack of religious people. There's no lack of priests, pastors, teachers. There, there, there's no lack. But the but the workers are few and the, the harvest is plentiful. So Jesus gives his 72 some instructions. He says, first of all, if you look at verse 2, 
Here's where he starts giving them instructions. He says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Pray. That's his first instruction to him. He says, if the workers are few, we got to start off by praying. We need to pray that God would send some workers out into the field. So Jesus sends his 72, and the 72 that he sends, he says, you guys pray that God will send more. Pray that God will put people in those towns, perhaps, that are ready to go alongside you and do some of the work. Pray that he will continue to send people to me, Jesus, I think, is implying. So I can train them up so they can be a part of this group, so they can become disciples and they can also go and work. So the first thing Jesus says we got to do is pray. And then in verse 3, Jesus gives them some, some more instructions and he starts off with an emphatic one. He says, go, with an exclamation point. I don't know about you, but I can imagine Jesus talking to these 72. It'd be like a group like this, you know, and, and Jesus is standing there. He says, Go! Like, you can't stay here anymore. It's time for y'all to leave. You got work to do. The harvest is plentiful. You're the few workers. You got to go. Go. He sends these, these 72 out, and as he sends them, he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And, and as I read those verses, I'm thinking to myself, I'm starting to understand why the workers are few. Go! It's inconvenient. You can't necessarily do it here. Sometimes you got to go to do what God's called you to do. I mean, sometimes you get to do it right there at home, right here in your community, but sometimes you got to go. You got to go. It's not convenient. It isn't going to come to you. I think a lot of Christians are waiting for the game to come to them, so to speak. I'll share my faith when somebody comes up and asks me, what's different about me? Now, I don't know, you live in your life in a way that somebody would come up and ask you that? Let's start there. I mean, I don't want to get into that. You can self-assess. But if you're waiting for the game to come to you to, to share a little bit about Jesus, to share your faith, to do the work of the disciples, if you're waiting for the game to come to you, it may never come to you. These 72 had to go. It is inconvenient to be a laborer for the Lord. And it's also dangerous. Lambs among wolves. Really? I don't know if any of you guys are like outdoorsmen, hunter types. Maybe you just like to watch the animal planet. Or uh, if you're old enough like me, you watched uh, back in the day, it was like the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And it was always the coolest thing in the world because they'd show the lion kill the zebra and there was like blood on the lion's mouth. And you knew that was like the real deal. Some stuff just went down. You know, nobody else relates to that. I don't know. I'm a hunter. I like it, man. I've been out in the woods. I have seen what wolves and coyotes and, and mountain lions can do to a wild creature, much less to a little lamb that could barely defend itself, can't even run, you know. I mean, a lamb. And Jesus says, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. It's dangerous out there. It's dangerous. Laboring for the Lord is a dangerous thing. These 72 are being sent. They're, they're leaving home. They're leaving the comfort. They're leaving the convenience. And now Jesus says, you're going to encounter dangers as you go and labor for the Lord. It's dangerous. There are people who will, they, it's like their joy in life, to tear you apart if you're a Christian. How about that? There are people in this world that would love for you to come to them and try to share your faith so they can rip 
you apart. There are some people who don't even care if you're a Christian. They just get a kick out of ripping people apart. Have you ever, there's mean, ugly, nasty, bad people out there. And when you go out amongst them, it, it's risky. It can be dangerous. And so the workers of the Lord are going to be inconvenienced. The workers of the Lord are going to face dangers. Verse 4. Doesn't stop there. Jesus says, Go out and don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Now, imagine you're going on a road trip. And I tell you, leave your credit card. Zzz, credit card. Zzz. Leave your cash. Go ahead and empty out the cup holder from all the change. Dig under the seats. Even take out the old stale french fries. Don't take a suitcase. Don't take a duffel bag. Don't even take a toothbrush or a change of underwear. How many of you are excited about going on this road trip? By the way, I don't know when you're going to be back. I can tell you where you're going. I can tell you what you're going to do. I don't know when you're going to be back. Take nothing. Are you excited to go? I'm not. I'm leaving on Tuesday for a one-day trip. I'm like going Tuesday night, spending the night, coming back Wednesday night. I'm trying to figure out how I'm, I'm borrowing a trailer to haul all of the stuff because the bed of my pickup isn't big enough. Right, now that's not all. I'm, I'm hauling a bunch of gear to leave somewhere. But it's not, I mean, so it's not all my, but I'm just saying. We go on a road trip. You know, Trina and I leave for the weekend. We pack for the week. Can any of you relate? Sit on your suitcase to buckle it up. Jesus said they can't do that. So he's sending them out like lambs among wolves. He's sending them out inconvenienced, and now he's sending them out without provisions. Now, why did Jesus send them out like this? Why did he not let them at least take some provisions, some element of comfort? It's like the clothes on your back, the shoes on your feet, and go. I think it's because these men, these 72 disciples who were going out ahead of Jesus into the towns to prepare the way for him, needed to have their faith built. We talked last week about building faith, didn't we? Said that faith can be built a couple of different ways. Sometimes you build your faith in a direct relationship with the Lord. It's like you, you have a track record with God. The longer you walk with God, the longer that track record becomes. The more you act in faith, the more faithful you find out God is. The more you rely on God, the more reliable you find out that God is. And therefore, the more you'll rely on Him in the future, the bigger your faith will be. So these guys had been following Jesus for just a little while. His whole entire ministry life was about three years. His public ministry, about three years. So it had been no longer than maybe a year and a half or so. I don't know when they jumped in. These guys hadn't been following Jesus long. They had just enough faith probably for Jesus to send them out. But he knew they were going to need a whole lot more faith. Probably faith the size of a mustard seed. Anybody still hanging on to their mustard seed from last week? How many of you lost it before you even made it to the car? Amen, yes, hands going up all over the room. It's amazing. I saw one hand about somebody who still had their mustard seed. Hang on to that mustard seed. That is an amazing little tiny reminder of the little bitty grain of faith that it takes, the Bible says, to, to move mountains. If we have faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible. These 72 obviously did not even have mustard seed-sized faith because they didn't go move mountains or anything. 
I think they didn't have it. I think Jesus sent them out the way that he did. Barely equipped for the job to build their faith. That's what it means to work for the Lord. It's, it's to go face dangers, to be inconvenienced, to be ill-prepared, and to go and do it anyway. Because the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Working for God is, is not for the faint of heart. Following the Lord is not for the faint of heart. It's a big commitment. Too many people, I think, enter into what they believe is a relationship with the Lord just for what they're going to get out of it, not realizing that there is a side of the equation that is them. There's things that God expects them, requires them, wants them to bring to it, not for His benefit, for theirs, for yours, for mine. We miss out on those things when we think it's all about what we get from Jesus. I don't know about you, I became a believer. I prayed a, a prayer and asked Jesus into my heart for fire insurance. Bottom line, I didn't want to burn in hell. Period. That was it. That was my total motivation. 21 years old, I heard an amazing message, laid out the gospel, and what I really responded to was the fact that, hey, big boy, at the end of this life, you got one of two places, your eternal soul that's never ending, never dying, going to live forever. You can't even imagine that number, but it's big. It's going to go one of two places, and I chose the one I wanted to go to. And because of that, I'll call it a wrong motivation, maybe an incomplete motivation is a better way to say it, God has been working in my life now for 18 years and developing me and building me and building my faith. And the same is true for many of you, and the same is true for some of you who haven't crossed that line of faith yet. But maybe you're considering it today. Maybe you're curling your toes right over that edge. Maybe you're hearing what it means to work for the Lord, and you see that maybe, I thought being a Christian was for, like, you know, milk toast, soft, yuck, mushy people, and I'm like a big, strong, burly, strapping kind of guy or girl, like pull myself up by my own bootstraps kind of person. I mean, I'm a single mom, I'm a single dad, I'm a big bad dude. Whatever your thing is, if you thought Christianity wasn't for you because it was for the weak, the meek, the mild, guess what? It's for them too, but it's for you. Because it's not easy to follow Christ. There's, there's things you got to do if you really want to be in that sweet spot, in that relationship with God. Got to be a laborer, a worker for the Lord. Got to go out like lambs among wolves. Got to go out ill-prepared. You got to face those dangers. Got to be inconvenienced. And then in verse 4, Jesus tells them not to stop on the street and greet people. Now, he's not instructing the disciples to be rude here. He's not telling them, you know, like, give everybody that you come across the, can't talk to you, brother, I'm on a mission. Important stuff for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying there's a sense of urgency about your business. When you labor for the Lord, there is a sense of urgency. Why, are, is, it, why is it urgent? Because you know what? Souls hang in the balance. Eternity is at stake. Every time we go out and labor for the Lord, souls hang in the balance and eternity is at stake. We should all have a sense of urgency about laboring for the Lord. If we're going to labor for the Lord, if we're going to do these dangerous works, if we're going to be inconvenienced, if we're going to be ill-prepared and we're going to go anyway, we might as well go with some urgency anyhow, right? I mean, let's just go ahead and get this baby done. Let's knock this thing out. It's important. 
Souls hang in the balance. Eternity is at stake. What does it look like when you work for the Lord? I mean, what is this work that Jesus sent the 72 to do? What is it that God wants from me? If you fast forward to verse 9, yeehaw. I couldn't remember if I told Jerry to put that in the slides or not. <laughs> we skipped a few. If you fast forward up to verse 9, Jesus gives these disciples two things that is their mission. Two things to do as they go into these towns, as they go into these places ahead of him to prepare the way. He tells them in verse 9, let's read it together. In verse 9, find verse 9. It's here. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal and tell. Jesus says to go ahead of him into these towns. He tells the 72 to go and heal the sick. Now think about that. If these 72 people rolled into our town today and they started healing people here and there, if they were in Flower Mountain, Highland Village, and maybe they, I don't know, like rent one of the blockbusters that went out of business down on Main or something like that, put out a little sign, a shingle, says, hey, we'll heal you here, and people start rolling in there and getting healed, the word would spread, wouldn't it? Hey, these guys just healed me in the name of Jesus. Like I had warts on my hands and they're gone, or I had, you know, whatever going on in my life and it's it's been healed. Would that get around Flower Mound pretty quick? Like, I bet that would be in the, what is it, the Flower Mound Gazette, the paper we have. Might even make the Dallas Morning News. I bet we could get Saul Garza, you know, from Fox 4, down there at that building with a microphone trying to check out what these dudes were up to. You know what? It wasn't a whole lot different back then. We just didn't have the technology, right? But if these guys rolled into town and they start healing in Jesus' name, don't you think the word would get around town? And it would begin to, to be a, build a buzz about this, this radical rabbi, this guy with this different message, this guy that can heal. Like, it's not even him. It's his followers that came ahead of him. And in his name, they healed. Would you not want to show up and meet that guy when he came to town? I mean, you might even skip out on one of the 72 when they roll in, but when that Jesus character shows up, don't you think you want to go and meet him? I think that's why Jesus tells them to go and heal. I mean, these are the two things Jesus did all over the place anyway. Whenever Jesus rolled into a town, what did he do? He healed the sick. He, he, he restored sight. He, he got guys that were lame to, to walk. He, he touched lepers and they were healed. He raised people from the dead. Jesus healed everywhere that he went. And so he's just sending these guys to do his ministry, but also to prepare the way so that when he comes, the hearts of those in that town will have been plowed, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The soil of their heart might be changed from the hard soil that rejects the seed when the farmer tries to plant it. To tilled, prepared soil that when Jesus comes, and plants the seed of the gospel, that they're ready to receive that seed. They're ready to receive the salvation that he brings. So he tells the disciples to go ahead of him and to heal, and also to proclaim the kingdom of God, to tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Now what does that mean? Well, I mean, I think he's telling them to let, telling these, these towns, is like, I'm coming. Jesus is coming. My master Jesus, in whose name I can heal, he's coming. And when he comes, he's bringing you something you've never seen, never heard before. He's bringing you the gospel. He's bringing you the truth of this whole story 
He's bringing you salvation from your sins. He's bringing you life now and in eternity. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Go and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. They're announcing Jesus. They're really kind of doing what John the Baptist did before Jesus ever started his ministry. I'd never seen that before, but it struck me as I prepared for this message. These 72 were really the voices in the wilderness. They were doing a lot of what John the Baptist did, preparing the soil of the hearts of the men and women in those towns so that they could receive the seed of the gospel and so that that seed could grow up, it could take root, it could grow up, and it could bear fruit in their lives so they could live successfully now in this life and in eternity. That's important work. That's like big-time stuff these 72 were entrusted with. That's the work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord is the church's work. It's the church's work. That makes it your work and my work. This is, this is what we're supposed to do with our lives, with our time on earth, with the seed that has been planted in our hearts. We're to let it take root, grow, and bear fruit. The fruit is us going and doing the Lord's work. Sharing the gospel, preparing hearts, sowing seeds, working for Him. Noble work. Few workers. Noble work that we're called to, and yet few step up, step out, and go to work. And I think the reason why are the things that we've already talked about. Because it's inconvenient. And frankly, we're a convenience culture. Right? We're a convenience culture. I referenced Blockbuster going out of business a minute ago. Why? Because with Netflix, you don't even have to leave the house. Convenience culture. Right? We like everything, and we want it now. And we really don't want to have to work for it. That's just the way our culture has gone. Folks, we've got to be countercultural. The work of God, the kingdom of God, is countercultural. We've got to break out of the convenience and be willing to be inconvenienced. Think about this. Somebody was inconvenienced for you. I, I don't know the circumstances of how you received the gospel. I don't know the circumstances of how Jesus prepared your heart or got the seed planted, or watered, or fertilized. But I guarantee you, somebody sacrificed and somebody was inconvenienced for you if you're a Christ follower. It wasn't, it wasn't easy for them to get that seed into you. Some of you had some hard hearts, man. You had to use dynamite to break that soil. You had to do some hard labor, baby. Some of you just, just you know, didn't want to let the seed take root. Some of you didn't want to let it grow up and bear fruit. Some of you are just stalled out somewhere in that plant process. You're not ready to step out and work because it's not convenient. Some, it's not the convenience, it's the danger. You're willing to, to be inconvenienced. You just don't want to get any like bumps, bruises, scars, scabs, anything like that working for Jesus. You know what? I didn't know this. I just found this out. Um, 
not this last time that we were at Breaking Bread, but the time before that. It's like six weeks ago. One of our people who was there that day working with one of the homeless people, and I'm going to share this. It may scare some of you from ever coming back to Breaking Bread again. You know what? I'll take that risk. She got poked by something in one of those guys' hands. She has no idea what it was. She's been to the hospital. She's going to have to go back and have tests. Something sharp poked her, left a mark. She couldn't even catch up with the guy. She was like doing something with him. By the time she realized what had happened, he was already on a bus and leaving. Didn't draw blood, so the doctors and everybody thinks she's probably okay, even if it was something dangerous. Could have been a pencil. We don't know. But that's a scary thing. It's dangerous to get out amongst the people that we're called to serve. It's dangerous to do some of these things. You know, and you'd like to think that God's going to protect you and nothing bad is ever going to... You know what? Sometimes God lets bad stuff happen because you need to grow in your faith in Him. Missionaries go out all over the world. There's missionaries killed every year for sharing the gospel. There's missionaries in some dangerous, dangerous places doing the work of the Lord. I was with a group about a year ago, and I met a guy who had planted a church in Iraq. We thought we were going to Colorado. We ended up planting here in our own backyard. I mean, come on. Are we really out on a limb? Are we doing something dangerous? Did we have to go? This guy picked up and went. He planted in one of the most dangerous places in the world. Forget the fact that he's out there doing the Lord's work, proclaiming the name of Jesus. He went to one of the most dangerous places in the world just to walk around. And then starts talking about Jesus. I mean, the work of the Lord is not for the faint of heart. And I think that some of us need to be ready to put on our big boy underwear or big girl underwear so we can go to work. So we can be deal with the inconvenience and, and you know what? Accept that it's dangerous. Accept that it's dangerous. Sometimes we're going to cross horns with somebody that ain't going to like what we have to say. You know what? Tough. Jesus didn't apologize for sending them out like lambs among wolves. He just gave them a little heads up right before they went. Some of us just take all of this stuff too personally. We, we just take it too personal. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We, we know we're ill-prepared. We take it personally when somebody doesn't receive what we have to say. We take it personally when we, we invest in somebody. We like prepare the soil. We plant the seed. Maybe they pray a prayer. They say they're a Christ follower, but then life gets hard and, and they go, you know what? That's just not for me. Crop failure. And we take it personal like we did something wrong. It's my fault that she or he didn't respond the way I thought they would. You know what? I think that taking it personal, you know, I'm personally not prepared. I'm not ready yet. I, I don't like to deal with dangers. I, I don't have time. I have too many of this, too many of that, commitments on my calendar. All that personal stuff, those, you know what, it's easier for you to share your faith than it is for me. I really get nervous talking to people. All that, just, it's all just taking it too personally. You know what Jesus said? I love this. Verse 16, Jesus addressed this very notion. Talking to the 72 in verse 16 here, Jesus says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. If you take it personal, if you're worried about how ill-prepared you are, if you're worried about crossing somebody who's uh, a wolf, 
If you're worried about whether or not you're, you know, a good enough uh, conversationalist or public speaker or whatever, you don't think you have enough Bible knowledge, you, you don't think you're prepared. That's what Jesus said. I mean, not literally. That's not a quote. You won't find that in here. You don't even know how to spell that. But he pretty much said that's that's really the deal. It's whatever. It's not about you. As a worker, it's not about you. It's about me, Jesus said. Whoever accepts what you say, whoever receives that plow when you take it to the hard soil of their heart, whoever accepts that seed when you sow it, they accept me, Jesus says. They accept Christ. They're not rejecting your message. They're not accepting your message. They're rejecting or accepting Jesus, and they're rejecting or accepting God the Father who sent him for their sake. It's the, it's the real answer to the question so many unbelievers, whatever you, non, Christians, whatever you want to call them, my own brother-in-law has asked me this. Jared, if you're listening to this, thanks for letting me use your example. My own brother-in-law asked me this. How can a loving God send people to hell? And the answer to the question is right there in verse 16. He doesn't. They choose it for themselves by rejecting his message and his messenger. They reject the gift of salvation by rejecting the workers that God sends to prepare their hearts, to plant the seed, and to reject Jesus who did the ultimate work. That's the deal. It's not personal to you. It's not personal to me. It's personal to Jesus. We've got the greatest story in the world to tell. It's the greatest story. All 66 books of the Bible are about Jesus. All 66 books are about salvation. All 66 books point to the fact that you and I, at some point in our lives, have to come to terms with the question, who is Jesus to me? We've got a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Will we choose Jesus? Will we choose the gift that he gives, the gift of salvation from our sins? Will we choose the life that he promises, a full life, an abundant life in this life on earth and in eternity with him in heaven? Or will we hold out our hand and reject the message? If you've made that choice and you've chosen Jesus, then part of your responsibility of following him is literally to follow him. Go do his work, the work that he sent the 72 to do in this passage. Be willing to be inconvenienced. Be ready to face the dangers. Know that you're not fully prepared 
and rely on God because he's got it. And he's ready to build your faith and he's ready to build his kingdom through you. So tomorrow when you fire up the grill, when you pull out that cooler, open it up and there's all of those frosty beverages of whatever variety you choose, when you're eating your ribs or your brisket, corn on the cob, out on the lake, I don't know, how do they stand for a wakeboard? I don't know, that's like the cool thing now. When I was skiing, it was slalom. But when you're on the lake, when you're doing your deal, whatever your deal is tomorrow, think about Labor Day in some different terms. Maybe for the first time ever. Think about Labor Day not as a cool day off, not as the closing weekend at the lake, not as a great opportunity to fire up the grill or the smoker or to gather with your family or your friends. Those are all great things. But tomorrow, shoot, why not today too? I want you to ask yourself a question. Am I willing every day to do a day's labor for the Lord. Father God, thank you for the laborers who brought the gospel to us, who know you, who love you, who follow you today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for continuing to send workers into the field to prepare our hearts, to sow the seed, to bring the, the true story of you, the story of salvation, of grace, of mercy, of love, of forgiveness, to build the kingdom one soul, one life at a time. Father, I pray today that Elevation Church is and will remain a church of workers, men and women who are ready to heal the hurts of this community, of our friends, our family, our neighbors. We're one in three people don't know you. They would be ready to heal their hurts and proclaim your kingdom to share the truth of your gospel, to plant those seeds so they can be received, take root, grow, and bear fruit. Let us be about your business. Let us do your work. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.